0: Hi everyone and welcome once again. I'm Pastor Tim with Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas. It's great to be with you once again because today is your midweek Bible study. It is Wednesday, May 10th. Last week we completed our study of 1 Peter. Today we're moving into 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 1 to 11 and we're going to talk about stepping stones to spiritual growth and what that really means. There's a lot to talk about but before we do let's open with a word of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you so much for your amazing love, for your amazing grace, for the chance at another day today. Lord, we've come together to gather in your name to worship you through this study. So teach us from your word in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen and amen. If you have your Bible or Bible app, please open it to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, we're going to read the first 11 verses. And let's find out what Peter has to say. This letter is from Simon Peter, a slave and apostle of Jesus Christ. I am writing to you who share the same precious faith we have. This faith was given to you because of the justice and fairness of Jesus Christ, our God and Savior. May God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for godly living. We have received all of this by coming to know him the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. In view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence, and moral excellence with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, And self-control with patient endurance and patient endurance with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love for everyone the more you grow like this the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ but those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins so dear brothers and sisters Work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. Do these things and you will never fall away. Then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? We get to unpack this today. This is so cool. Let's begin with verses 1 and 2 and Peter's greeting in Christ. Verse 1 says, once again, this letter is from Simon Peter, a slave and apostle of Jesus Christ. I am writing to you who share the same precious faith we have. This faith was given to you because of the justice and fairness of Jesus Christ, our God and Savior. Here's our first question today. How would you summarize this opening verse from Peter? In contrast to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, and I'd encourage you to go look this up, the letter begins with the name Simon Peter. Do you see that? Because in 1 Peter 1:1 it says, This letter is from Peter, so it doesn't say Simon Peter, just Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. The different form of the name, it might merely have to do with different writers who recorded Peter's words as he wrote this letter. Peter had been one of Jesus' twelve disciples and one of three with James and John to whom Jesus had given special training. He often acted as a spokesman for the disciples, sometimes being rebuked for not thinking before he spoke. The story of Peter's denial of Jesus and later restoration by him were well known to the early church. So how did Peter identify himself in this verse? He identifies himself first as a slave. Do you see that? Meaning one who is subject to the will and completely at the disposal of his master. Peter used the term to express his absolute devotion and subjection to Jesus Christ. Now the title of apostle designated his apostolic position as a leader, and one of the 12 original disciples. It also designated authority to set up and supervise churches and discipline them if necessary. Even more than a title of authority, apostle means one sent on a mission, like an envoy or an ambassador. Peter and the other apostles, including Paul, had been chosen, called, and given the authority and responsibility to evangelize the world. So who does this verse say Peter is writing to? Peter was writing to believers who share the same precious faith he and the other apostles had, faith given to them by Jesus Christ, their God and Savior. Peter reassured these believers that their faith was equal to the faith of the apostles. It was just as precious and just as sure, for it was faith in God and in Jesus Christ, who by his death made people right with God. Amen. Lot in that first verse, isn't there? All right, look at verse 2, still part of his greeting. May God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. Our next question is, what is Peter's desire for the people in this verse, and does he have any concerns? Peter desires that God would give them more and more grace and peace, which refers to the peace that Christ made between sinners and God. The persecuted and suffering believers may have been feeling very little grace and an absence of peace, but Peter reassured them that both grace and peace could be theirs. As for the second part of the question, Peter was concerned that the believers' faith remained sound and steadfast. Only by growing in their knowledge of God and Jesus could they remain faithful in the face of false teaching. But knowledge must not be static. It needs to move. It needs to grow. In other words, Believers must not have knowledge just for the sake of having knowledge. Their knowledge must lead to changed behavior, or in other words, godliness, as explained in the next verse. Speaking of that, in these next verses, verses 3 to 11, we'll talk about growing in the knowledge of God. Here we go with verse 3. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We've received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. The question is, some Christians struggle with sin, spiritual weakness, and apathy. Are these people missing something? Have they been left unequipped by God? Is there anything missing in order for us to lead the life God calls us to? Peter's answer here is simple. We're not missing anything. We're fully equipped but we have a choice about whether or not we'll really use those spiritual gifts. This requires effort on our part. How then are we equipped? It doesn't happen naturally. We weren't born with it. We didn't earn it through hard work or good behavior. For those in Christ, God's divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Like salvation, all of this was ours when we came to know God through faith in Christ. As Peter will make clear, knowing God, the source of all life, is the only path to being fully equipped to live as God calls us to. And how does he call us? By his own glory and goodness, meaning moral excellence. Jesus sets the standard for what is good and glorious, calls for us to follow, and fully equips us to make this journey. Next up, verse 4. It says, And because of his glory and excellence, He's given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. Here's the question. In this verse, we find that by Jesus' glory and goodness, because he lived sinlessly and now exists in glory forever, we've been given something of enormous worth. What is it that Peter says we've been given? We've been given promises, beloved. Do you see that? In human terms, we think of promises as things of limited value. Experience has taught us that those too eager to make promises are usually the least trustworthy. And even when we consider a promise as reliable, we don't count ourselves as having received anything until the promise is completely fulfilled. The level of value we place on a promise has everything to do with the person making it and our confidence that it will be completed. That all said, in this context, These are not human promises. The God of the universe does not lie and does not fail to keep his word. Coming from him, a promise is a declaration of certainty. A promise is eternal currency. A promise is a tangible gift. So what has God promised us? Eternity in his family, an end to our suffering, transformation by the power of his Holy Spirit, and purpose and meaning forever. These promises of God are of such great value that merely possessing them has already given us the right to participate in the divine nature. In other words, we are already partners with Christ in the work God is doing in the world. More specifically, we are right now able to begin to answer Jesus' call to live in his glory and goodness and escape from the destruction caused by sinful human desires. These next set of verses, five through seven, are just the coolest. Follow along. Here we go. Verses five to seven. In view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence, and moral excellence with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with patient endurance, and patient endurance with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love for everyone. Here's the question. In these verses, Peter lists eight qualities that describe the life of a Christian who is participating in God's nature. What are those eight qualities, and what do they mean? The first quality is faith, for without it, Christians are no different from the pagans in the world around them. The faith Peter referred to is faith in Christ, faith that brings them into the family of God. While people might have some of the following characteristics by nature, Those are worthless in eternity without being grounded in faith. And since we've been equipped to live like Jesus, we must work to add goodness or moral excellence to our faith. This means that by God's power, we will work to do good in the world right now, just as Jesus would in our place. This goodness becomes the foundation for the rest of these qualities. We're also to add knowledge. This is a deeper understanding of our God through his word and prayer and so forth, which informs our goodness. Merely wanting to do good is just not enough. We must know what good is by knowing God. Next, we must add self-control. Without the ability to control ourselves, our knowledge of good and the desire to do it are both worthless. Self-control is the moment-by-moment restraint of our urges. This is the ability to make the right choice in those moments when temptation strikes us. Then we must add patient endurance. Patient endurance is the ability to practice self-control over time. Our sprints of doing good turn into marathons. Does that make sense? Our moment by moment, hour by hour, day by day choices eventually turn into lifestyles. Patient endurance is the ability to maintain self-control even when the pressure of temptation continues to attack us. Next, we add godliness. This keeps our goodness from just merely being human goodness. This is godly goodness. This is a moral excellence which reflects the nature of God himself instead of the temporary earth-bound goodness of man. Next, Peter writes that we must add brotherly affection alongside godliness. The idea is that we become motivated to do good for each other. This is supposed to come from a sense of connectedness. This is a type of connection experienced in the closest of families. And truly, my friends, brothers and sisters, as we are in Christ, we are family. Peter calls us to make every effort to develop a familial affection for each other. Hard as that might be at times, we should strive to really like each other so that we want to do good for one another. Then finally, we come to the pinnacle of these qualities, love for everyone. God is love and the goodness of Jesus was motivated both by his love for the Father and his love for us. Here, Peter's term for love comes from the Greek root word agape, which refers to a selfless, sacrificial concern for the good of others. It makes sense then that our ultimate reason to do good is the same self-sacrificing love that Christ showed for us. Next up, verse eight. It says, the more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. The question is, what is Peter urging his readers and us to do in this verse? The eight qualities we just talked about in verses five to seven should be a part of every believer's life, but they're not static. Believers don't merely have these qualities. Instead, they grow in these qualities by practicing them in the rough and tumble of daily life. And these characteristics increase They help believers become productive and useful in their knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our faith, beloved, must go beyond what we believe. It must become a dynamic part of all we do, resulting in good fruit and spiritual maturity. Next up, verse 9, it says, But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. The question is, what does Peter say are the consequences of not developing or growing in these key qualities? In short, Peter is saying our whole existence as believers is an exercise in missing the point. In truth, Peter is even more specific than that. He says that if we fail to use these tools, we have become so nearsighted that we might as well be blind. We're living as if we are unbelievers who really are blind spiritually. Peter's point seems to be that a Christian preoccupied with the short term on what they want out of the moment immediately in front of them has lost the ability to see life from any kind of eternal perspective. Those who set aside the positive traits Peter listed have forgotten that they've been cleansed from their past sins. Again, the idea seems to be that of overlooking who we are and what our lives are for we still see participating in sin or less-than-Christ-like behaviors as normal. Instead, we should see those things as things we've been cleansed from, which we have the power to move on from. Again, it's critical to remember that Peter is addressing believers, men and women who are saved by faith in Christ and are going to spend eternity with God. The tragic loss of abandoning these qualities, living only for ourselves, is the loss of opportunity. It's not a question of losing salvation, but of failing to become who we can be in the here and now, used as God intended to fulfill his purpose on earth. Next up, verse 10, it says, so dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. Do these things and you will never fall away. What is Peter saying in this verse? And what is he not saying? Peter is urging his Christian readers to demonstrate the reality of their calling and election. First, it's important to understand what Peter is not saying here. In no sense is Peter indicating that eternal salvation is based on behavior. Along with the rest of the New Testament authors, Peter has already been very clear that forgiveness of sin is a gift of grace. We cannot earn it, nor do we have to meet a certain level of holiness in order to keep our eternal destiny. What Peter does seem to be saying is far more practical. That is, his point relates to how we actually live and behave. In particular, that saved Christians confirm their salvation for themselves and other people by possessing these qualities of Jesus. This does not work in reverse. It is not a hard test for salvation, nor does it imply that salvation is earned by exhibiting these traits. Rather, the point seems to be that only those who have been chosen by God And call to faith in Christ can truly possess and abound in these qualities. Therefore, those who exhibit them have every good confidence in their relationship with Christ. Those who don't, at the very least, will lack that confidence. If you live as only God's children in Christ are empowered to live, Peter says you won't have any reason to doubt or stumble over your faith. Again, his use of the word fall is not about a loss of salvation. In context, This is about a season of wasted time, of unproductiveness, and ineffectiveness, of near blindness, and indulging in sin we should have left behind. Peter is speaking most clearly to those who seem to avoid commitment to Christ-like living while still claiming their place in God's family. This is unproductive at best and dangerous at worst. Instead, Peter tells the reader to be diligent to demonstrate spiritually mature qualities as confidence boosters and evidence of their security in Christ. And now our last verse for today, verse 11, it says, Then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our final question today is this. In the previous verse, Peter says the increasing assurance of salvation is a benefit of consistent obedience to God. With that kind of assurance, what can God's people expect according to this verse, verse 11. Peter says God's people can expect a joyous welcome into his eternal kingdom. There is more to heaven than just getting through the gates, folks. Scripture is full of promises of rewards to those who are faithful. The greeting that believers will receive when they enter God's presence will be rich because of the blessings God has lavished upon those who belong to him through the redemptive work of his Son. No sweeter words could be heard by the faithful believer entering heaven than well done, good and faithful servant. Amen and amen. My friends, that brings us to the end of our first study here in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1-11. to Here's a brief recap of what we talked about today. Peter began this letter by introducing himself as a servant and apostle of Christ. He acknowledged that the faith of his readers came through the righteousness of Jesus. Jesus and Peter wished his readers grace and peace that came from a true knowledge of God. Then he talked about how God, through his power, has given believers everything we need for eternal life and spiritual growth, and as a result of these promises, we participate in his divine nature and are able to escape the world's corruption. Then he listed eight qualities believers are to develop in their lives—faith, moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, patient endurance, godliness, brotherly affection, and love for everyone. All of these qualities build on each other and are necessary for spiritual growth. And lastly, by actively pursuing spiritual growth, Christians will grow in their assurance of salvation. If they continue to grow, they can expect a great celebration when they enter into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Next time, we're gonna be studying 2 Peter chapter 1, the second part of that first chapter, verses 12 to 21. And we're going to be talking about being witnesses to his glory. Thanks for joining me today. It's been a joy to be with you once again. Truly, from my heart to yours, thank you. I'll see you right back here again next time. Until then, take care. God bless you. Go in peace. Thanks for listening. Join us again next time for another encouraging message from God's Word. To find out more about our ministry, look us up on the web at www. WHCCNB.org. Word of Hope Christian Church, real people, a real God, real hope.